Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from the East Room of the White House in a wide-ranging news conference. Approaching two hours in length, at times went far off script. As the president tries to take control of the narrative on the eve of his first anniversary at the White House. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Welcome to a rather truncated edition of Bloomberg Sound On. We're going to get instant analysis from the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. And we'll keep you posted throughout the evening on voting rights debate and and voting, for that matter, in the U.S. Senate. The president speaking from the podium, as I mentioned, for almost two hours, backed by the iconic gold drapes in the East Room, where he faced a group of reporters downsized by COVID, but certainly pent up with a lot of questions. As you might expect, the president opened with the good stuff from a year of challenges, as he put it, but also a year of enormous progress. The unemployment rate dropped to 3.9 percent. Child poverty dropped by nearly 40%, the biggest drop ever in American history. New business applications grew by 30%, the biggest increase ever. And for the first time in a long time, this country's working people actually got a raise. But with persistent challenges like inflation, failure to pass the rest of his economic agenda, build back better, the first question in this marathon session was whether the president overpromised on what he could accomplish in his first year. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. And so... The problem here is that I think what's happens, what I have to do in the, in the change in, in tactic, if you will, I have to make clear to the American people what we are for. We've passed a lot. And to that end, he says, I'm going to get out of this place more often. Let's get to the panel. I've been looking forward to this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis have been listening along with us and are here now to help us unpack what we heard today. Jeannie, one hour and 52 minutes later. Did the president help himself today or did he hurt himself? Well, I thought he started out very strong. I thought it could have gone a little bit shorter. Um, I think he started out strong, as you mentioned, talking about what he thinks he has achieved. And I did think I learned something, some things, particularly early on. He's going to run again. Kamala Harris will be his running mate, he said. Mm -hmm. He also talked about the fact that he seems willing to try to push for things like Build Back Better and voting rights in smaller chunks. So maybe taking a lesson from Bill Clinton after he had a difficult midterm and trying to do some smaller things. He mentioned the Electoral Count Act, for instance. And I also thought it was fascinating how he previewed what I think we're going to hear going into the midterm, that his big question about the GOP is going to be, what do they stand for? What Absolutely for? nothing. Yeah. So, you know, I thought those things were very interesting. And then to your last point, he talked about what he's going to do differently. Get out of D.C., which makes sense, although I don't know how effective it will be. Solicit input and focus on the midterm elections. That's Those are the three things he said he's going to do. Rick Davis, what's your... 
take on this. You helped to advise politicians for a lot of years. Would you have told anyone to go out there for almost two hours and take every question on every topic under the sun? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot. I mean, my years of uh, going to press conferences with John McCain, he, yeah. you know, he, he didn't like anybody to get between him and a microphone, uh, but this <laughs> set a whole new standard. Uh, it did, and, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm a little surprised he didn't just invite the reporters up and, you know, have, him, have them come up to the podium and have a little conversation. Um, I, look, I, I, think, I think Jeannie's right in that, like, I think he made a good uh, pitch for his program. Uh, all of them, I think, not just the <laughs> ones that were important. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, I would say I thought the foreign policy pieces to this were really disturbing. I mean, like, did he just give Vladimir Putin a uh, pass on only going into Ukraine so far? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, it, did he wishwash about uh, NATO countries that border Ukraine uh, not having a security interest in what Russia does? I mean, like, did did he actually talk to President Xi in China about the origins of the uh, COVID uh, 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 disease? Because it, nobody seemed to know that at the time. So, I mean, like, there are a lot of unanswered questions. I think when we see the morning papers – uh, as if anybody will wait that long, it shows my age. Uh, I, I think you're going to see that the, 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 the real question marks are going to be uh, where he went on the foreign policy questions, supposedly yeah. his strong yeah. suit, uh, not so much on the, the, the domestic plans that everyone actually thought were going to be the hot spots. Uh, indeed. What's the purpose of this exercise, though? Uh, I'll ask both of you here. Is it to have a digestible sort of narrative that people could watch on television, listen to on the radio, feed headlines tomorrow morning, Rick, to your point. Or was this some sort of abstract exercise that, you know what, there were going to be grabbing headlines all over the place. We're in an online world now. Nothing matters. Jeannie, nobody watches these things in their entirety anyway. Why go for two hours and more questions than we can count at a certain point? Are, don't you reach the point of diminishing returns? Well, I thought it was fascinating. At one point, he actually said, you know, sarcastically, something to the effect of my press team is doing a great job here. And, you know, I sort of thought, you know, I sort of was empathetic with the president that, you know, he can't be both answering the questions, you know, calling on reporters and controlling the clock there. So I was a little curious as to where his team was and why they yeah. let him go on and on Well, so they start long. with a list, right? There was a list. At some point, I'm assuming, Rick, he blown. exhausted that list and just started going through the rest of the room it sounded like yeah i think the janitor actually asked a question no <laughs> i mean i'm not sure but i'm pretty uh, sure that did not happen by the yeah. way rick davis talking about foreign policy and specifically russia vladimir putin uh this did spark a bunch of headlines terminal and beyond when he said this that he expects vladimir putin to move in this is how he termed it he is trying to find his place in the world between china and the west and so i'm not so sure that he has, David, I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. My guess is he will move in, Jeannie. Who's he talking to there? 
I was stunned by that. And then a, a reporter followed up and, and asked, I think, a really important question about whether the sanctions that he was talking about that would be to so tough if they yeah. were going to be, you know, not quite as tough if he was giving sort of Putin a pass, if you will, on some of this for a smaller incursion. Well, yeah, he suggested there might be degrees uh, of, of, of sanctions. Of, yes, right, yeah. or degrees of invasion. You know, if they go in a little bit, we might do this. But he tried to walk that back, Jeannie. He did try to walk that back in response to the second question or the third question on, on Russia, but I think it was a little bit too late. And I think it's something the White House is going to have to clarify. Again, I found it problematic when Saki was predicting that Putin, when Putin would go in with a timeline. Here, he didn't quite give a timeline, but he said he expects it's going to happen. If he expects that, it would be good if we heard where, what evidence he's using to make that statement. Yeah. And, you know, we should then all be prepared, I think, a little bit better than we are, and we should know what the response is going to be. Rick, these news conferences, this is only the second one we've seen like this, the formal the formal solo news conference East Room, the whole bit that we got today. They're not just for voters. They're for the world, right? These are for world leaders to be watching as well. Vladimir Putin watched him answer that question. Well, um, every world leader, Vladimir Putin, President Xi, I mean, these these are hotly watched because it's a, it, they don't get that much direct access uh, to a president of the United States. And and right now, this president is immensely powerful because of the lack of leadership on the world stage, and he fills a lot of that vacuum. So this was really cr critical to sending a message to the world. And, and if anything, I mean, he's got such a uh, everyman style you know, where he sort of talks it through before, you know, while he's trying to find an answer that, that I'm not sure anybody got clear signals today. And when you're dealing with foreign policy, mm. uh, signals and how clear they are are really critical to the outcomes. If Vladimir Putin was watching that press conference today, I'm, 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 I'm thinking he goes back to his advisors and says, yeah, did he just give me permission to roll across the border? Well, I mean, like, I, I, I'm really not sure what his takes on this is going to be. So I think you'll see a lot of backfill with, with um, you know, Anthony Blinken uh, in, in full shuttle mode to try and stop uh, a incursion into Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure he was benefited by the president of the United States saying he, he actually expects one. So you're, we're not going to be surprised if Blinken's doing all the morning shows tomorrow is what you're saying. Well, uh, you know, I, I think Blinken probably will not be doing morning shows because he's sitting there with Lavrov <laughs> trying to convince him, you know, the, right. he's, he's spending hard. shouldn't be laughing at any, yeah, any of this. Jeannie, uh, let's get into the domestic stuff uh, for, for a moment. There was quite a bit of time spent on the agenda, build back better, what's left, voting rights, of course. And the president was asked early on and quite directly. Uh, what he can get done this year. Is there anything that you are confident you can get signed into law before the midterm elections? Yes, I'm confident we can get uh, pieces, big chunks of the uh, Build Back Better law signed into law. And I'm confident that we can take the case to the American people that the people they should be voting for who are going to oversee whether the elections, in fact, are legit or not, should not be those who are being put up by the Republicans to, de to determine that they're going to be able to change the outcome of the election. And this is while debate is actually going on in, in the Senate. In fact, Joe Manchin uh, was was holding forth on the floor, describing at almost that very moment, Jeannie, why he would not vote to end the filibuster. What do you think about the agenda for 2022? 
And what a split screen that is. You know, yeah. the major one of the major issues the president ran on, it is dying, a, a sort of expected slow death in the Senate at this point. And he, I think, was very clear in the press conference on one thing, that he is still going to pursue a voting rights agenda, but it is going to be much more limited than he initially talked about. He's talking now about this Electoral Count Act, which is something that has bipartisan support, but that is not nearly going to make anybody in the Democratic base happy. And that is going to be, I think, a problem. But he was very clear when he said chunks of the Build Back Better law, the the Electoral Count Act, he is talking about being something of an incrementalist. And I also thought it was interesting that he sort of critiqued uh, Barack Obama saying, I told him to take a victory lap after the Affordable <laughs> Care Act. He didn't. But I'm going to take my own advice and do that on the, uh, the BIF, the bipartisan infrastructure. Well, you know, it may be a little late to do that as well, but I thought that critique of Barack Obama in light of the voting rights issue was something I found uh, may have been a little bit misplaced. I, I think his point is well taken, but the critique of a very popular former Democratic president, Indeed. I was, thought his was former interesting. Boss. His former uh, boss. Speaking <laughs> of lessons learned from Barack Obama, Rick, it, it, when we crossed the hour mark and, and, and started going off the script, it reminded me quite a bit of a lesson that Barack Obama taught all future presidents when he decided in a, in a primetime news conference one night in that same room at the White House, and I was in the room for it, he decided to go for one extra question. These were typically very buttoned up, well choreographed events, but he, he called on Lynn Sweet from Chicago who asked him a question that he was probably not prepared for. And it had to do with, well, of course, it all led to the beer summit, Rick Davis. It had to do with the arrest of uh, Skip Gates in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he said the police acted stupidly. If he had ended the news conference, the question before that, there would have been no controversy the next day. Should Joe Biden have learned that lesson from Barack Obama? Sure. Uh, I think this wasn't a scripted press conference. Uh, and so much of my friends in the press have always opined for the day of, wow, couldn't just a president go in there and freewheel it yeah. uh, and answer our questions? Well, you just saw that happen. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the message was. I was actually kind of expecting this, you know, pivot back to the center. You know, he, 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 he gained the presidency by creating this coalition that is vanishing in front of him. The center is bailing after, you know, a few series of losses on these big progressive programs. And, and I, I thought you'd see this sort of artful pivot to the center. And, 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 and I honestly, I can't, I, I really don't understand if there's any ideological underpinnings to, to most of the questions he answered after the mm -hmm. first hour. We're talking voting rights. I'll, I'll key off of that because there was a question, a, a tougher question uh, to the president's credit on voting rights toward the end of all of this. But I want to ask you both before we wrap this up about his demeanor, the way he conducted himself, the way he interacted with reporters, because he did get angry here. This also would not have happened if it had been an hour-long news conference as he got the question about his speech recently on voting rights in Atlanta. I know that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or George Wallace, but you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said and tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor that they were Bull Connor. And that is an interesting reading in English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. 
So did you expect that that would work with Senators Manchin or, or Sinema? Um, no, here's argument? the thing. There's certain things that are so consequential. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I'll give it to the reporter for coming back with a follow-up and, and, and keeping it together there. Uh, I mean, Rick, when, when you have the president starting to raise his voice like that, what does it tell you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's time to call it quits. Uh, the question before is exactly as you pointed out. At some point, you do get your guard down and you get fatigued. And I think it's a classic example. And, and then you have a, an angry response, which is the one thing the press is always talking, is, his press staff is always talking to him about. Tone is important. And up until that point in time, I thought he had a nice conversational tone. I thought it actually it was a good way to uh, connect with the American public who might be looking in for some portion of the two-hour press conference. Uh, but that definitely crossed the line. And he looked angry. And presidents who mm. look angry to the American public are not as accessible as those who are not. Uh, Bill Clinton had an enormous capacity to give back snappy uh, answers to questions he didn't like, but he did it in a way that you wanted to go out and have a beer with him right afterwards. Yeah, right. Nobody was asking for a six-pack at this press conference. <laughs> well, ask the press office. Jeannie, I... I don't know how I would I, I can't imagine how I would sound or how I would be dealing with people after two hours of, you know, some difficult questions being thrown at me. But I'm also not the president. How did his demeanor strike you? And, and did he help himself tonight? You know, I thought initially in the first hour, I thought he handled himself pretty well. To your and Rick's point, the longer this went, you had questions that, uh, you know, were not ones that, that he wanted to answer. And he did something that really stunned me when he got so angry at this reporter, because this is exactly what he did his last press conference with Caitlin Collins from CNN. And, and he had to come back after that and apologize, if you remember. And Collins is a That's great right. reporter. She asked a fair question he got angry he did the same thing here and while I did think there were some questions that went over the top I'm not sure this was one of them he did run on restoring civility maybe the question could have been phrased differently but it's a fair question what did you mean in referencing Bull Connor and these people in your in your uh, statements in Atlanta and you know do you think that's an effective sort of way to try to entice Mansion and Cinema to change their mind and he could have answered that in a calm manner he didn't and I think it's something that he's going to regret and I'm just surprised either his team prepped him and he didn't follow their 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 prepping or they didn't prep him and then it's shame on them well, we're going to have a lot more to talk about tomorrow is the actual anniversary one year with a president Joe Biden in the White House many thanks to Bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis our signature panel as we bring you live coverage here of the President's News Conference. I do want to mention breaking news quickly. The Supreme Court rejects Trump, the headline on the terminal. Supreme Court clearing the way for some of Donald Trump's White House papers to be turned over to a congressional panel investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. Bloomberg's Greg Store writes, The order gives a major legal and political victory to the House Select Committee and its Democratic Chairman, Rep. Benny Thompson of Mississippi. A lot more on that throughout the evening here as well on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.